So this morning, I expect that all of us are going to be confused. And for some of you, that may not be anything new when I preach. You might really wonder in the past what I was talking about. But this morning, we're starting a series on the Trinity. And if you know anything about the Trinity, the, the theology, the doctrine, that God is one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit then you, if you know anything about the Trinity, you probably, if you've um, tried to think about it, have gotten a little confused. We've, we've had over the course of history in the church, we've tried to explain it. How many of you have ever heard the apple illustration for the Trinity? Anyone ever heard the apple illustration that it has a, a skin on the outside and flesh in the inside and seeds, but it's all one apple? But the problem is that's actually a, a heresy. If we talk about the Trinity like that. There's another illustration like myself that I, I can be an illustration for the Trinity because I am both a, I am a father, I am a son, and I am a husband all at the same time. And yet that doesn't really work. It breaks down if you spend too much time with it. The problem that we have with the Trinity is that it is a fundamental part of what we believe as followers of Jesus, but it is always going to be a mystery. How many of you believe in the Trinity? Good, I'm glad you do. But you're believing in something that you can't possibly understand. But we can learn. And we can grow in our understanding of this fundamental, important teaching of the church that helps us understand more about who God is. Because how many of you want to be a theologian? By the way, you all are. You all are theologians. All of you are. Why? Because theology is simply the study of God. And if you have any relationship with God at all, then you are a person who is a theologian. And if we're going to be theologians, let's be the best theologians we can possibly be, even with something as challenging and as confusing as the Trinity might be. We're going to dive into a text that um, is a, a huge part of how we understand the Trinity. It's from Matthew chapter 3. It's about a quarter of the way back or a third of the way from the back of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first four Gospels of the New Testament. I encourage you to turn there to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to begin at verse 13. As we do so, let's pray for God's blessing on our time together. Father, we ask that you meet us through the power of your word this morning. That, Father, as we seek to understand, as we really try to grasp something that is still, no matter how hard we think or how hard we try, it is a mystery. We ask, Father, that you meet us in our learning. That you speak to us about who you are. That in our deeper understanding of a mysterious God, that we understand more about just how much you love us. And just how much you are active in our world. And just how much we need you to be a loving, active God in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you allow me to disappear. That you speak your words here. And that I can simply be a faithful servant to the task you've given to me. Lord, we pray these things all in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 3. We're going to begin at verse 13. It says this there, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Okay, so this is really um, the story right at the begin of Jesus' ministry. He's, by this time, he's in late 20s, early 30s. All right, he's either 29 or 30 years old, depending on the time frame. And he's, he's um, getting ready to go out and do the ministry that God had called him as his father to do. And in order for him to do that, there's a couple things that have to happen. And you'll see that there's a couple things that Jesus, um, if you look at the Gospels, that, that are, are particular to him beginning this ministry. The first thing is he was tempted by the devil in the desert. And that story goes through all the temptations that Jesus might be um, prompted by, um, but he doesn't. He doesn't live into those things. And we are affirmed that he is a sinless God, a sinless Savior. But then we also then, as he prepares for his ministry, this baptism. And this baptism gives us really one of the most telling pictures of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because they're all very present in this text in a way that is um, very unique in all the scriptures. So Jesus is going to see John, and John is this itinerant evangelist who's at the Jordan River. And John is a a popular guy. He's one of those people that sort of... um, Like, he started doing his thing, and then word began to spread about who he was. And maybe, um, you know, it's it's sort of one of those, like, you can almost think he'd be like a a YouTube sensation, or or somebody who would would start sort of sharing something, and then all of a sudden what he was sharing or what he was doing caught on. It became viral. John is viral. And he's viral in all of Israel because people are coming all the way from Jerusalem to come to hear him. That's how far the word is spread. And that is quite a journey. It would be over a day, maybe two days to walk from Jerusalem all the way to the Jordan River. Now, Jesus doesn't have to go that far. The Galilee is simply about a day or maybe a half a day's walk, depending on where you are. If he was in Capernaum, which was his hometown, which usually he was, it would really only be a couple hours to where John did his ministry in the Jordan. Now, why John? Why, why is John so important? Well, John is fulfilling something. John is doing something that is necessary for the incoming Messiah. And you can look back, if you would like, in Isaiah, a prophet in the Old Testament. If you go about halfway, a little bit over halfway in your Bible, you're going to find Isaiah 40, verse 3, where it says that there is one who has to come to prepare the way for the Christ. John is living into that by preparing the way through baptism. He is, John is making the way clear, making the mountains flat so that people can walk into what Jesus is going to do in his ministry that's just beginning. Why baptism? Well, actually, baptism is, is, uh, we don't see it in the Old Testament very much. In fact, we don't see it barely at all. And 
even the baptism of the Old Testament is more of a ritual cleansing. In fact, it's not baptism in the sense that we talk about it in the New. And John actually has lived into the Old Testament teaching of that ritual cleansing. How do we know that? Because he's an Essene, E-S-S-E-N-E. This is a group of people, they're the people who actually cared for, wrote, and then stored the Dead Sea Scrolls. You ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, all the Old Testament teachings? John was a part of that group. His, his, his family was a part of that group. And part of their work was writing down all the stuff on the scrolls, but then also they lived into what was called a mikvah. Mikvah is a daily ritual cleansing and it, is, it is, has religious significance to them in following God. It was the idea of cleansing myself from today's sin. You would live into that. It's very different than baptism. And yet, it was a sign of something that John already was very familiar with. When he comes in now, in the New Testament, he begins this mikvah-ing among God's people, but in a different way. It's baptism. He's baptizing them into a new thing. This is the beginning of Christ's ministry, and ultimately we see that Christ himself calls us to live into what he's experiencing here. Matthew chapter 28, go out and baptize. So it makes sense that Jesus is coming into this place with John, the one from the Old Testament who's there to prepare the way, and John is doing baptism, a mikvah of a different sort into the life of Jesus as he prepares for his ministry. All right, verse 14 says this, but John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? We hear him ask this question, and it seems to make sense, right? I mean, in the hierarchy of things, who would we say is sort of higher on the, on the food chain? Jesus, right? Christ is. So why is it that Jesus would be going to this person who's a little lower than himself on the food chain? Very different, obviously, because Jesus is God. But why would he come to this person and ask him to baptize? Here's why. Jesus, first of all, needs to know and needs to experience the beginning of his ministry with the Spirit. We're going to see that that happens. But the second part is, is that Jesus actually understands humanity. Really quickly, turn with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 13 through 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 13 through 16. Here's what it says here. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. If you've been keeping up on daily devotionals, then you actually studied this text in the last week. John is writing to this church, but the church is trying to, they're, they're fighting about who they should follow and who should be in charge of, of, of what they believe. Paul says this to them. He says, is Christ divided? Will, was Paul crucified by you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Or thank, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Paul understands that because 
they're not baptized by him. They can't claim anything unique. They can't claim any position. Imagine if Jesus were a baptizer. And he was someone who went out and said, Come into the waters and I will baptize you. There are people who would then use that as a sign of exclusivity. Oh, Paul, you got baptized by, you know, Pastor Scott or someone else. I got baptized by Jesus. Sort of this, all of a sudden, I'm better than you. And Christ understands that. And so he's not going to be the baptizer. That's John's job. That's John's place in the kingdom. He's going to live into the ministry of the Spirit that is to come. This is where we're starting to get a little confused about the Trinity because Christ needs the Spirit to come. It's hard to see how this is all going to work. But if you and I are honest for a moment, we all know that sometimes it's really hard to see God at work sometimes, isn't it? Isn't it hard sometimes for you to see where God is? I know it is for me. I I think of some of the things that I've been involved in even over the last week. Times in the hospital, phone calls with hurting people, some of the own struggles that I've had in my family. You sort of look at something and you wonder, okay, God, how is it that you're at work here? What is it that you are doing? How, I'm, I, I get confused sometimes. I get really confused sometimes. I open Facebook and I see this thing happen to this person. I, again, I, was just, I opened my Facebook um, and I saw for the first time um, a, a young lady had posted something on Facebook. I, she hadn't posted in a long time. And that was in part because her young daughter, her 18-month-old daughter had died. And even seeing her face this week on Facebook and seeing her write something, I was reminded of that and my prayer became for her, for Nicole, it became, God, what is it that you're doing here? I don't quite get it. I don't quite understand how you are at work here. What, what, how are we supposed to think? Even this morning, Kara said to you, a blessing is anything that brings us closer to God. I think I got that right. Kara, did I? I think that, yeah, I did, good. A blessing is something that brings us any closer, closer to God. And she said, it's a good thing sometimes, but sometimes it's a bad thing. And sometimes when bad things come, is it hard to understand or see God at work? Of course it is. How are you going to use this cancer, God? This death in my life. This accident that I got in. I was even talking to Thomas. I think of your son getting his hand cut. God, what is God doing in the life of this young boy as he cuts his hand and gets 12 stitches? Where is God in this? We know God is, right? We know God is present in all times and in all circumstances. We know that there are no random molecules in the universe, but how is it that we understand God being at work in some of these things? Some of the confusion continues. We get verse 15. It says this. Jesus replied, Let it be so now. For it is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Is anyone else confused by that verse? I am. Because here's my question. How 
is all righteousness fulfilled when Christ is already righteous? Is He already righteous? He is. He's a perfect, holy God. But how is all righteousness fulfilled in baptism in this activity? How, How does that work? Here's my thought. All righteousness is not fulfilled in Christ becoming more righteous in baptism. It is fulfilled in that the righteousness shows itself through a triune God. All righteousness is fulfilled in who God is even in this story. The fact that the Son needs the presence of the Spirit and needs the presence of the Father affirms that there is a oneness to God and that oneness fulfills all righteousness. Now, Jesus is still fully God. God the Father is still fully God. The Holy Spirit is still fully God. But when they are in this oneness, it fulfills all that is needed for all of humanity, all of creation. And yet, there is that distinct. Distinctness in each person. And here's where we see it. It says this, verse 16. As soon as Jesus would baptize, so baptism is done, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased." Here's the unique picture. We don't get this unique picture anywhere else in Scripture. The the Son, God, hears from the Father, God, while the Spirit, God, is coming upon Him. And in that union, in that moment, in that oneness, all righteousness is fulfilled. This is who God is. Now, how many of you are still confused by what the Trinity is? Please put your hand up. You all are. I, I, I don't even understand some of the things that I probably just said. But here's why it's important. Here's why I need it to be a mystery. Here's why I need a one God who is a threeness within him. Here's why. Because I don't understand why Harvey died this week. Because I don't get I don't get cancer. I don't understand it. I don't understand why it hits certain people and doesn't hit other people. There are some people in this world that with some of the evil that they exhibit in their lives, you would think they're the ones who deserve it. Not a Maddie Leonard, not a Cheryl Weirs, not a Harvey Kim, not a Chuck Griffin, not a Pam Knoll. I don't get cancer. I don't get why Leslie here, my friend, my brother, 
The fact that if he stands up beside me, we look, we are 99% the same, except with one thing. His melanin is different than my melanin, skin color. I don't get why in this world, we are seen and treated differently in so many different contexts with the evilness of racism. I don't get that. I don't get why God gives some people some of the burdens that he does. We call something like addiction an illness. Then why does God choose for this person to get sick and that person not to get sick? And why does it consume so much? Why is addiction, addiction to drugs or alcohol, addiction to pornography or addiction to gambling or any other addiction, why does it consume so much? I don't get that. And if I had a God that I could understand and there's things in this world that I don't understand, then my God could not possibly be big enough. I need a God who is bigger than my capacity to imagine him. We need a God who in the fulfilling the righteousness of his work, his ministry, his presence on this earth for our sake, in him doing that, in him doing it in this mystery of the Trinity, he reminds me just how big he is. And I need a really big God. Because I spend too much time in hospitals and at gravesides. And I spend too much time on the phone with people who are hurting so very deeply. And I have my own stuff in my life that is just too hard. I need a God who's bigger than it. I need a God who is greater than it. I need a God who in his oneness and threeness is bigger than anything I could ever imagine. And then as he continues his ministry, he lives into righteousness and grace and love and sacrifice for all of us. I need that. I need that because this world is too confusing sometimes. It's just too much for me. I'm going to... I'm not sure I want to do it, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to confuse you even more. Okay? Um, I want you to... I, I want to think just a little bit, just for a minute, how much more God is than we can think, or, uh, think of or imagine. And for that, I'm actually going to use some physics. Okay? Can you follow me? I know some of you are not physics people, but just I'll, I'll try to make it basic, okay? Does anyone know if there's anything that can exist with no dimension? No dimension meaning no length, no width, no height, no time. There is actually a thing, it's called a point. Mathematically, it's called a point. And a point is something without dimension. It is sort of defined as a mathematical proximity and it is infinitely small and it is one spot. It has no dimension, no length, no width, no height. Does that make sense? Okay? Infinitely small, one point. 
But there's then more dimensions, right? We add one. What is the first dimension? The first dimension is length. You know what length actually is? It's a line. Think of a line, okay? And if you thought of that line, mathematically they talk about that line going forever. It goes into infinity. It is actually an infinite series of points, okay? So zero dimensions to first dimension is an infinite increase in what it is. Does that make sense? You following me? Please put your hand up if you're following me so far. You got me? Some of you are confused. That's okay. We're in the Trinity. Confusion is natural. Add one more dimension. We get into two dimensions. Okay? We have a point. First dimension is length, infinite, into the distance. We add the second dimension, which is height. Okay? And that is an infinite number of lines that create the second dimension. Point, infinite number of points creates a line. Infinite number of lines creates height. Then we add the third dimension. What's the third dimension? It's depth. That is an infinite number of, and this is called a plane. So you get a point, a line, a plane, and it's an infinite number of planes stacked one on top of the other. That gets to your third dimension. Fourth dimension. Infinitely different. This is something that experiences three dimensions. Length, width, and height. But it does not experience an awareness of time. That's the fourth dimension. That's what we are. All right? It does not have an awareness of time. does not live in it. How much different am I than this dumb book? I use the word dumb just to give you an out, all right? Maybe not that different. I'm infinitely different. So we start with a point. Infinite number of points makes a line. Infinite number of lines makes a plane. Infinite number of planes makes depth. And then the difference is time. Four dimensions. I experience, we experience as humanity, four dimensions. How many dimensions does God have? Anyone want to guess? Ten? Who knows, right? Here's what I can tell you. I can tell you that mathematically, because mathematically they have proven the existence in the universe of at least 26 dimensions. Okay? Now, I don't even get that. I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm just giving you something that I read. I believe it. 26 dimensions. Zero dimensions to one, infinitely different. One dimension to two, infinitely different. Two to three, infinitely different. Three to four, infinitely different. Infinity times infinity times infinity times infinity. And we all know that that is actually a mathematical impossibility because infinity is all numbers, as high as you can go. Do that 26 times. We live in four, and the difference between four and five is going to be infinitely different. Five and six, infinitely different. Six and seven, infinitely different. Go all the way to 26. That's how incredible God is. I can't even, I have no concept of who he is. I was talking about with Greg this week in the office. We were talking about um, just 
God's incredibleness and how we experience some of that in eternity. You know why eternity is eternity? Because we need that long to even begin to understand one more dimension of God. We need, even for your first eternity, I don't even know how to divide eternity, it's, it's never ending, right? Maybe for the first million years, you get to figure out the fifth dimension. And then for the next million, you think about the sixth, and the seventh, and the eighth, and continue to grow. Because God is so much infinitely greater than anything we can think or imagine. And yet, He loves you so fiercely. And he died for you in all your needs and brokenness. All the things that confuse you. He's way bigger than them because he's way bigger than all things. Bill and I were talking about Romans 11. How vast God's blessings are. We can't even begin to imagine. And friends, that's exactly the God that we need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Don't get you. We thank you that you are bigger than anything we can ever imagine. We thank you that you gave us glimpses. But truly, Lord, capacity, that is not even enough for us to understand. We pray, Father, that you open up our hearts and our minds this week and this month ahead, this year ahead to who you are and your greatness. But in that, Lord, help not only to acknowledge the mystery, but to embrace it. Because we need you to be that mysterious God who is bigger than all the things in our world that we don't understand. I pray for your comfort for those this morning who are in here, Lord, and they are struggling. They don't get why this is happening, what's going on. They don't understand their hurt and their pain or the pain of others. And Father, meet them in your mysterious, your oneness and your threeness, fulfilling all righteousness in their hearts and in their lives in such a way that they know, they know your grace, they know your presence, and they know your power. You're the only one who can do that. We pray you do it today. In Jesus' name, amen.